I want you to consider for a moment the case of Bernie Madoff, who was convicted of running the largest Ponzi scheme in history, defrauding thousands of investors out of billions of dollars. What I want you to think about is, what if Bill Gates were to have stepped forward and said, voluntarily, I'd like to pay back all of the money that was stolen, and I would be willing to go to prison instead of Bernie Madoff so that he might be declared innocent. If a judge were to accept that offer and cause that to happen, would you say that justice had been served? No. I mean, it's very nice. <laughs> it's very kind, but it doesn't feel very just. It doesn't feel very fair. I mean, after all, Bernie Madoff is the one who did these things, not Bill Gates, and it's kind of him to give money and to be willing to go to prison. But how is that just? How is that fair? But that raises another problem. Last week, we talked about salvation. And I said that God willingly punishes Jesus for the sins that we committed. But if the Bernie Madoff situation isn't fair, how's that fair? Is it just for God to punish Jesus for something that we did? Honestly, it doesn't feel very just, does it? I mean, it's incredibly gracious, and I'm very grateful, but it doesn't really feel right. It doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel just. But the problem is, God is just. Everything he does is just. So how can he punish Jesus for things I did wrong? Well, there's a piece of the story I left out last week that explains how it is that God is just to punish Jesus for the things I committed. But not only does this explain God's justice, it also helps us to understand what exactly we are doing right here, right now, this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Book of Ephesians, chapter 2. It's page 828 in the Bibles the church provides. And I'm going to read verses 14 to 18. But while you're turning, as a way of setting up what it is that Paul's about to say to us, let me ask you this situation, back to our Bernie Madoff story. Let me change it slightly. What if, instead of Bill Gates... It was Bernie Madoff's wife who was uh, volunteering to pay back all those who had been stolen from and was willing to go to jail for the sake of her husband. Would that feel any more fair or just? Well, to me it feels slightly more fair. <laughs> I get the point that it's still not quite just, but it feels a little better because she's connected to him, that she somehow is united with him in a way that Bill Gates is not. It's not perfect, 
but it's closer. With that in mind, let me now read you what Paul has to say in Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 18. Paul says, for he himself, this is speaking of Jesus, is our peace. Not gives us peace, but is our peace. Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create, and here's the phrase we're gonna come back to, so remember this, in himself, one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now the missing piece that I didn't tell you about last week when we were talking about salvation is wrapped up in that phrase, in himself. This represents a teaching that we know of as union with Christ, that God has united us with Jesus. Romans 6, three to eight, says it this way, I just pulled some of the phrases out. You were baptized into Christ Jesus. We were united with him like this in his death. Our old self was crucified with him. We died with Christ. And the key idea here is that God unites us with Christ so that we're one with him. We're baptized into him. Now the reason why this is important is because you remember in the story about Bernie Madoff, it feels a little bit more just if it's his wife because she has some connection to him that Bill Gates doesn't. What God is saying is that he has made us one with Christ. That means our sins become Jesus's sins and his death becomes our death because we're one. After all, the wages of sin is death, but according to this passage, we did die. This is how God is just. The wages of sin is death, and we died. It's just that we died in Christ because we are one with him, and our union with Christ makes salvation possible. This is how God remains just and the justifier of those who put their faith in Christ. By uniting us with Jesus, our sins because, become his sins because we're one. And his death becomes our death because we're united with him. Now you say, well, why didn't we go over this last week? That's because union with Christ not only explains God's justice and salvation, it's so important and so powerful that it opens up the doorway to an entire another section of teaching in Christianity. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. 
Now to explain how that works, I want to do something unusual and perhaps awkward or uncomfortable, but an illustration that I need your help with. What I need right now is about 20 or 30 of you to come out of the congregation and come up and join me up here on the platform for an illustration. Now you're not gonna have to talk, you're not gonna have to do anything except just stand where I tell you to stand. So I need you, come on up here, any of you, just 20 or 30 of you, I just, I need you up here. Come on. This is great. Awesome, thank you. All right, come on. Yeah, good. So if I can have you over here. Yeah. Now everybody here, come on, we got room. We got time, right up here. This is a good looking group. Okay, everybody on this side, need you over here. Now, I'm gonna testify that I didn't ask any of these people ahead of time to do this, except for one couple, because I needed a married couple. So I asked Wally and Midge, where are Wally? How can they be hiding? Wally and Midge, come on up here. I need you up here. So Midge, I need you right here. I know, but you're right here. We don't have to say anything, don't worry. And Wally, right over here. Right over here. Okay, now Wally and Midge are married. Okay, that's an important part of the illustration. And I want Wally here to represent God the Father. Okay, so think of him as representing God the Father. And Midge, she represents Jesus. Okay, now this is important that God the Father and Jesus are one. Wally and Midge as a married couple are one. And so they represent the Father and the Son. Now we've been talking about how salvation is only possible through union with Christ. To represent that, what I would like for this group to do is lay your hands on Midge to sort of symbolize and represent union with Christ. Now I know that we can't all physically get around her, so if you just lay your hands exactly right on the people uh, that are behind you. So you get this sort of idea uh, and this picture. And what we're trying to say here is, uh, take Melvin right in here for example. No, that's fine, you sit right there. Melvin, because he is united with Christ, is now reconciled with God the Father because Christ is connected to God. Just be like a wife is one with a husband, Jesus is one with the Father. And so the way salvation works is through union with Christ, Melvin experiences salvation. You see that? That's what we've been talking about so far. Now the next step that I want you to see is notice that because there's only one Jesus, anybody who is united with Christ suddenly finds themselves in close proximity to all other people who are united with Christ. Do you see that? Do you see that visually going on here? What this is saying is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2. So you guys have to stay up here, sorry. Look now in Ephesians 2. Verse 15, halfway through, God's purpose was to create in himself, remember that's the phrase that represents union with Christ, in Christ, one new man or one new entity or one new essence. Can you see that up here? That by uniting people with Christ for salvation, suddenly because there's just one Jesus and a bunch of separate people who came from all over the auditorium, came up here and are united with Jesus, there now is suddenly created a new group, a new entity that wasn't here before. That's what Paul's talking about. 
to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. So all these people who may not have had any other connection to each other this morning are now connected to one another because of their common connection to Christ. Do you see that? Okay, verse 16. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them, or you could say all of them, to God through the cross. Because this group, that's what we were just talking about, is united to Midge, and Midge is united to Wally, they are now reconciled to Wally. They're now connected to God the Father. But the question is for us this morning, what's this group called? Well, look with me. What does Paul say? Verse 16, in this one body. Okay, do you see how this looks like sort of a body up here? That we have the person representing Jesus? And you have a body that is connected to her? Well, when we call this the body of Jesus, another way to refer to it would be Christ's body or the body of Christ. And what is another term for the body of Christ? It's the church. Okay, Ephesians 1.22 tells us that Christ's body, which is the church. So here's the point. Church is not something that you go to. It's something that we are. Amen. It is a direct result of the fact that union with Christ is necessary for salvation. This is not some sort of add-on deal. It's not like God said, I want to save a bunch of people. And after he saved us, he thought, what should I do with them? Maybe I should put them in a group for a while and see what happens. No, it is fundamentally a part of, there is no salvation apart from union with Christ. You have to be one with Christ so that our sins can become his sins and his death can become our death. But the moment that happens, you are immediately now part of the church. It's not a second step involved. You see that. We couldn't take somebody like Melvin who may want to come up here and say, well, I'd like to be connected to Christ, but I don't really want to be connected with the rest of these people. Is that possible? No. When you are connected with Christ, you are now part of the body of Christ. Union with Christ not only means salvation, it means church. They are one and the same. When you experience salvation through union with Christ, you are now part of the church. It's not something we go to. It's something that we are. Okay? You guys did fantastic. Thank you very much. Midge, especially. Thank you. God, you did great. Nice job. <laughs> okay, as they return to the seats, what I'd like to do then is take this teaching and give you six ramifications of what it means for us today. The fact that union with Christ necessitates the church. Church is not some add-on. It is part and parcel of what it means to experience salvation. Six ramifications for today. First, church means community. Church means community. You sense that all of these people, some of whom may not have known each other, now know each other a little better, right? Well, look in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2. 
Consequently, because we are one in Christ and therefore now together in one body, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. If any of the people who came here, came up here, had felt alone when they walked in this church building today, they felt less alone when they were up here. They're no longer aliens or foreigners or individuals. They're now part of a community. Paul's saying that's church means community. See, union with Christ not only connects us to the Father, it connects us to other believers. We're not alone. We're not aliens. We're not foreigners. We're not strangers. We're not alone. And when we feel alone, that's simply Satan lying to us because it's not possible to be alone. If you are connected to Christ, you are connected to other people who are connected to Christ. So ramification number one is church means community. Number two, church means God's presence. Look at verses 21 and 22. Same chapter. In him, in Christ, talking about union with Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy what? A temple in the Lord. Well, what's a temple? A temple is a place where God dwells. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You saw in the midst of our group right here, who is in the middle of the group in the front? Jesus, okay? Because they are united with Christ, this means that in the church, Jesus is uniquely present. That's what Ephesians is saying. And because Jesus is present, and remember, Jesus and the Father are one, who else is present everywhere Jesus is present? God the Father. And so church becomes the temple in which God dwells by his spirit. Yes, God is everywhere, but he's uniquely present where the body of Christ is because where the body of Christ is, the head is. And Christ is the head and where the head is, God the Father is as well. So church means experiencing God's presence. Number three, church means witness to the world. Church means witness to the world. Look over in chapter one of Ephesians, verse number 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet, this is Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the what? For the church, which is his body. Now here's another definition. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is not only the body of Christ, it is the fullness of Christ. What that means is this. For those of you sitting all the way in the back of the sanctuary, you may have had a harder time seeing Midge by herself up here on the platform. But the moment she is surrounded by 30 other people, she becomes much more visible. It was an easier group to see. So it is with Jesus. Jesus is currently in heaven. 
that makes him hard to see. But he has a body that fills the earth. And so you see the people who are united with Christ. You may not be able to see Christ, but you see those who are united with Christ. And this is the way God testifies to the world that Christ is risen, that Christ is Lord. This is how the world sees Christ. We bear witness. That doesn't mean we just go out and start talking about Jesus. It means we are connected to Jesus. So wherever we go, Jesus goes with us. And where the church is, the world sees Jesus. Church means witness to the world. Number four. Church means vindication for God. Vindication for God. Look now in Ephesians 3, verse 10. Verse 10, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Not only does the church bear witness to the world, the church is what God is using to show how wise he is to the rulers and authorities of the heavens. These are the spiritual forces of darkness. These are the angels who fell with Satan who thought God could be trifled with. And God is saying in the church, you will not win. The church is the vindication of the wisdom of God. Because if there are people who are united with Christ and one with Christ, they are inseparable from Christ. And that means evil will not triumph. And God is using the church to tell the powers of darkness, your day has come. Evil will not triumph. God is smarter. God is more powerful. This is why Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is vindication that God is right and everybody else is wrong. The church is vindication for God. Number five, church means growth. Notice we're just going through the book of Ephesians, just looking at what Paul says. So look now in chapter four. Chapter four, verses 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, that's the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Remember our illustration again, 30 people all connected to Jesus. But Jesus, John told us, is the source of life. He is the bread of life, he is living water. If you are connected to life, what's going to happen? You're going to grow. Church means growth. It means because it represents our connection to Christ, it means that we become more mature, that we are being fed by streams of living water, and we grow strong in the Lord. Church means growth. 
And number six, church means care. Look now in chapter five, verses 29 and 30. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the what? The church, for we are members of his body. Paul's saying, just like you and I, we take care of our bodies. When our bodies are hurt, we, we tend to them. We feed them, we look after them. We're compassionate towards our own bodies. Jesus is compassionate towards the church because we are his body. Amen. We're not just some sort of group of people that he's like, well, I don't mind those people so much. We are one with him. And so he cares for us. So church means comfort. It means care. It means compassion for those who are hurting. Church is where Jesus heals our wounds. He's where he ministers to the downtrodden. This is where we are comforted when we lose heart. Why does he do it? Because we're his body. We're one with him. You wouldn't treat your body without care and nourishment. Jesus wouldn't do that to his body either. These are the six ramifications that Paul spells out in the book of Ephesians. But if I was going to summarize all six in just one statement, it would be this. Church means God working in uniquely powerful ways. Church means God working in uniquely powerful ways. God working amongst us, so now we have relationships with one another, whereas we might be at each other's throats, now we have peace. Did you notice the diversity that was up here? Did you not see what God is doing amongst us? That's God at work breaking down the barriers that we have in society to make us friends with people who are not like us. God at work in the church. God is at work in the church and so we experience his presence when we gather together. God is at work in the church and so we bear witness to the world that Jesus is raised from the dead. People see, wow, God's doing amazing things. God is at work in the church and therefore he's vindicated to the powers of evil. God is at work in the church and therefore we grow. God is at work in the church and therefore we are cared for and we are comforted. After all, isn't this the way our doxology puts it that we say every Sunday for our benediction? Now unto him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory, where? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Why is God glorified in the church and in Christ. Well, we know why he's glorified in Christ, because Jesus is God. And so God's glory is seen uniquely in Christ. Why is he glorified also in the church? Because we're Christ's body. God was uniquely at work in the person of Jesus. God is uniquely at work in the body of Jesus. That's us. God's at work everywhere, of course. 
but he's uniquely at work in Jesus and in Jesus' body. That's why God is glorified most powerfully in Christ and in Christ's body. That's why we can summarize all that I've just said under the statement church means God uniquely at work in immeasurable ways. Now you say, wait a second. If union with Christ, which means salvation, also creates the church, that means church is everybody who's a Christian. Anywhere in the world, if they are united with Christ, if their hand is on Christ, if they're connected, then the church means everybody who's Christians anywhere. Absolutely. That's what we know as the universal church. It's what we affirm in our Apostles' Creed when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We don't mean the Roman Catholic Church. It's a small c. The word Catholic means universal. We're affirming the fact that we believe in a universal church. All Christians who are united to Christ are part of the church. But you know what? Paul didn't write a letter to the Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus, simply to tell them about some ethereal, theoretical concept of a universal church. He wrote to them to tell them about their church, to tell them about their local body of believers. Look in verses 21 and 22 of the passage that we've been looking at in chapter 2. In him, in Christ, still talking about union with Christ, the whole building, all Christians everywhere, anybody united with Christ, there's one Christ. For Sudan, there's one Christ. For Palestine, there's one Christ. For one Jesus. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. That's the universal church. But look at verse 22. And in him, still union with Christ, you too, who? The church at Ephesus. Paul's writing them a letter to say, this isn't just true about some universal body. This is true about your body of Christ. This is true about your church. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He's talking about Calvary Church. Calvary Church is a place where we experience community and relationships with other people. Calvary Church is where God is at work so that we're not alone. Calvary Church is where God is uniquely present, not in the building, but in the gathered assembly. When we come together, God is present Amen. here. For those who are united with Christ, Christ is in the midst of what we're doing. Calvary Church is God's means of witnessing to the city of Grand Rapids Amen. and to the world. Calvary Church is vindication for God. Do you know right now, God can point at Satan and say, you see those believers in Grand Rapids, Michigan? You will not win. We are vindication, not some ethereal concept of a universe. This church, we are the body of Christ. And God is vindicated because he's at work here. Calvary Church is the means by which we experience spiritual growth and mature to become the believers God wants us to be. Calvary Church is the means by which Jesus cares for us. That when we're hurt, when we're broken, 
when we've lost our jobs, when we've suffered loss. This is the means by which Jesus nourishes and cares for his body because we are the body of Christ. So the Paul's point in all of this is that church is not some add-on. It's not something that God was trying to figure out. What's a list of five things I could give them to do? Well, maybe I could tell them to feed the poor. Maybe I could tell them to read their Bibles. Let's have them go to church too. That's not how this works. Salvation is only possible through union with Christ. But the moment you are united with Christ, you are now part of the church. It's not something that you do. It's something that we are. You don't go to church. We are the church. And what we're doing here on a Sunday morning is we're not trying to become the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And we are coming here to live that out in reality today. This is why Paul's discussion about the church is not in the second half of the book of Ephesians where he's telling us all the things we need to do. It's in the first half of the book of Ephesians where he's explaining to us the riches of being saved in Christ. Church is a result of union with Christ. It is the means by which the salvation that God has given us in Christ continues to become a reality in our life and in this world on a regular basis. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your body. We thank you that we are one with you, that our sins have become your sins, and that your death has become our death. Forgive us, Lord, for being so individualistically selfish about this, that we think we're the only ones connected to you. Thank you for reminding us that because there's just one Lord, we are now one church. And God, I pray for churches all over this world that they would experience the power of you working amongst them in great ways. Thank you for how you've been at work here at Calvary Church, that these are not just words on a page, this is a living reality. You are saving people. You are transforming people. The world is seeing that you are at work. People are coming to a receive comfort and care. Jesus, we thank you for not abandoning your body despite our failures, despite our faults, despite our finitude. Thank you, Jesus, for being one with us. I pray that each one of us might leave this place today with a better understanding that we are your body and we might live that out. In your name we pray, amen.